Welcome to the Member Engagement Show with Higher Logic, the podcast for association professionals looking to boost retention, gain new members, and deepen member involvement. Throughout our show, we'll bring on some experts, talk shop about engagement, and you'll walk away with strategies proven to transform your organization. I'm Heather McNair. I'm Alex Mastriani, and we're happy you're here. Welcome back to another episode of the Member Engagement Show. Heather, are you ready for our first community manager interview? I am. I'm very excited. And uh, one more, I'm going I'm to spill this as we're talking to Emily Cowan today. Uh, it'll be very interesting on the heels of our conversation and the last episode to hear how her path has um, is different than mine to where she got into community management and how there are some parallels as well. And so I'm very excited to jump right in. Yeah, let's welcome Emily to the show. Hey, Emily, how you doing? Hey, I'm great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, we're excited you're here. And to kick things off a little bit, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about you, who you are, what you do, you know, your life story in 60 seconds? (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best. Got a lot of years to cover. Um, It's so funny, Heather, that you said that about, you know, the path to community management, because I think maybe the best way to describe myself might be to give you a little bit of background on how I got into it. Yeah, if that's okay. Of course. Um, so I graduated college with a very fancy degree in medieval English literature and had zero idea what to do with myself professionally. So I just figured, you know, I'm an English major. I can put words together. I might as well go into writing. And I did that for a bunch of years. Um, I worked uh, as a content creator for a lot of websites at uh, the beginning of the dot-com boom when everybody got a website and didn't know what to put on it. Um, and then I had kids and I was out of the workforce for a few years. And when I was ready to come back, I had like one major problem. And that was that when I was out of content creation was when social media kind of (laughs) happened. And, uh, you know, you can imagine being a content creator without any sort of social media chops was a major uh, problem for me in in terms of my job search. So I kind of decided that while I was going to look for a job, I was also going to be teaching myself social media so I could kind of make mistakes when no one was looking. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was my plan. Um, And, you know, one thing I noticed was, uh, you know, on our local Facebook groups, just our community, uh, I live in Newburyport, Massachusetts, and, you know, every every community has its own Facebook group. Um, They were pretty nasty places to hang out. People just were really jerky to each other. And it's especially crazy when you think that we all live in the same place and might conceivably run into each other at the grocery store. (laughs) It's one thing to be like, you know, throwing shade on Twitter, but that's kind of nuts. And I just, you know, thought to myself, this might be a a hole in the market. I mean, what about starting a local Facebook group where people were actually nice to each other? Um, And I've always been interested in, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Um, uh, so, uh, you know, I've always been interested in branding as well. And I kind of felt like those two things would go together. I mean, how do you tell the story of this is the place where you're nice to each other? Um, So it just felt like a fun challenge um, to see if I could make that happen. Um, and I launched Nice People of Newburyport. <laughs> There's that branding piece, right? <laughs> I love in, that. <laughs> in May, I think May of 2017, and it has 15,000 members now. Um, That's I wasn't incredible. getting paid for it or anything. I was doing it in my spare time. My husband thought I was crazy. Um, but, you know, it took a lot of care and feeding, but I enjoyed it. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm doing my job search. And Intuit uh, was looking for a writer for its QuickBooks community team. 
I applied for the writing job and I got it. But um, given my work on Facebook, they actually asked if I'd be interested in taking the community manager role as well or instead. And uh, <laughs> I'd never heard of such a thing. I did not know that people did that for a living. I did not get paid to do that. And, you know, obviously I said yes, but I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into. Um, I had to do a ton of research and, you know, making mistakes when nobody's looking seems to be my MO. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, for me, like the the power of online communities and sort of a shared understanding of the rules of engagement and a willingness to self-police to keep that going. And moderation is important, but if you really want to engage in positive, productive civil discourse, which of course we all want to do, it's your job as community manager to set those expectations and create the kind of space that the bulk of your members feel invested in defending. And uh, that's something that I did with nice people and it's definitely served me in good stead. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It was I was looking at your LinkedIn profile before we uh, before, before we jumped on today, and it, I, I saw that you were an English literature major in school too. Which it's funny because I was too, oh, and really? I, I, yeah, and I'm wondering like, okay, is is there something to that? That yeah, that oh, these paths yeah, like absolutely community management. So like, just kind of touch and and I think you did with the branding piece, um, but you know where. Where do you think that that major, that that skill set has played into community management? Oh, uh, huge. And I mean, some of it is like just sort of being in digital communications for the last, I don't know how many decades, I'm not going to tell you. Um, <laughs> but a lot of it is just, you know, when you're writing a message to a member or, com- or writing a post, it's really important to be conscious of all of the ways that things can be misinterpreted because not everybody lives in a digital environment all the time. And I've seen, I've seen posts go really sideways when somebody tries to make a joke, for example. So, you know, as the community manager, you, you need to have like a very strong ability to Uh, not just write, but edit yourself before you post so that you can anticipate those potential problems, cover all of your bases, and most importantly, make your members feel just like glad of having that interaction. And I think that that's a really strong writing skill um, that, you know, has to be cultivated for sure. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that is very, very well said. Not, not surprising, <laughs> but, but no, I, th- I think that's an excellent point, but communication skills in general are just paramount to this job that you, definitely, yeah, you use them extensively every single day. Yeah. So how did you, what was your first community management role like? How did you ease yourself into that? And then when you made the switch over to your current role, which I don't think we have said you are currently working at the American Society of Anesthesiologists, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, how did you make your way to the association world? Um, yeah, so Intuit's QuickBooks community was a very, uh, I don't want to say uncomfortable marriage, but we were still working out <laughs> some of the issues. Um, it was kind of part customer service in terms of the customers of the QuickBooks products. And also sort of at the time, speaking of branding uh, into its kind of tagline or slogan was own it or, um, oh gosh, I'm not even going to remember now what it is. 
but it was really about supporting the small business owner in all mm-hmm. of the different ways because you know most small businesses close after two years or within the first two years. Intuit at that time had a real strong vested interest in the success of their small business owners who would go on to keep licensing their products. So the idea was that I was not going to be the product person. We definitely had a deep bench for that. Um, my job was to um, sort of moderate a discussion around business issues, like how do you deal with a supplier who, you know, is is not meeting the deadlines or you have a disagreement mm-hmm. over pricing, like those kind of things that are not really part of accounting software, but are certainly part of the day-to-day of the small business owner. Um, yep. And that was really interesting. I mean, it's the kind of thing that you don't have to be a small business owner necessarily to have some empathy for. It's something I would never do myself. It's a ton of stress. Um, but I, yeah, again, the, the part of this, the piece is communication. And then part of it is where is this person coming from? How are they feeling right now? And how can you address that emotion in a way that makes them feel glad that they came to this particular digital <laughs> destination yep. as opposed to some other one? Um, so that really helped as well. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a half customer community and sort of half anybody could join as long as you're a small business owner and want to talk about those issues. Um, and uh, there was no easing into it. Let's <laughs> tell you right now, there was no easing into it. Um, but uh, it was definitely a learning experience. And I definitely availed myself of, of the resources that are available. I mean, I was deep into Feverbee. I was trying to just soak up every piece of information I could about this role that I took on because um, you know, there's a little bit of imposter syndrome when you shift careers. Uh, and I had certainly done that. I mean, I know writing backwards, forwards and sideways, but community management was a new space for me and I wanted yeah. to do well. Um, so it was a lot of research. And I think that that's something that a lot of community managers struggle with, um, especially if it gets dumped on your desk and that's not necessarily your day job within your your current role, Mm -hmm. but also most companies don't have a community team. They've got one person responsible for the whole show. So who do you bounce ideas off? Um, And that was uh, definitely um, difficult. Uh, So, you know, just a ton of reading, a ton of research, participating in Feverbee's experts community, CMX, uh, community roundtable, Facebook group, and just kind of watching other people work through their stuff as a community manager was super helpful to me. Yeah, it makes you feel a little bit less like you're on your <laughs> yeah. own, like you're on you're on your own island out there. Exactly, <laughs> keeping things rolling. <laughs> yeah. So how I'm curious how you found out that those resources were there? Um, was it through coworkers? Um, you know, not really. Uh, I don't know. I think I just kind of went on Amazon and found buzzing communities. <laughs> like it was, it was really that low tech. Yeah. Um, but you know, whatever. I, I, you, you, you know how to if you know how to research something and get on Google, then you can pretty much find those resources. It's just a matter of, um, you know, some of them have a, a process where you have to say, well, what's your community management job? And the fact that I had a community management title was super helpful. You know, mm-hmm. getting yeah. to some of those groups. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so then what led to your transition to your current role? Yeah, so actually, there was a middle job between the Intuit job. I worked for another, um, a, it was a, a private company, not an association, but it did have a community of practice for customer experience executives. And so that was my next job. 
And uh, it was one of those classic situations where they hired the platform before they hired the community professional. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's not good. Um, you know, I kind of, it was hard to sort of be like, I know what I should be doing. I just don't have the tools to be doing it with this platform. This isn't where you need to be. And uh, I started really advocating for a migration to higher logic because it just seemed like the best fit for what they wanted to accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, you know, we, we explored other platforms as well. We did Salesforce Cloud and, you know, some other things. Um, but I had a big fat PowerPoint. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was ready to rumble. Um, and, you know, eventually I was able to get buy-in from leadership. We did the migration to higher logic. I had to teach myself the CMS and everything and, you know, basically start all over again. Uh, and uh, that was kind of my introduction to higher logic. And, uh, you know, I guess th those kind of kicking the tire impulses that I have, you know, like, what does this button do? What happens if I use this parameter on this widget really served me in good stead. So, um, you know, cause you are a one, one woman band and, uh, you know, you can't always file a support ticket for everything. You've got to be, be willing to, to experiment and feel comfortable that you're, you're going to try new things, but you can't break it. Um, and, uh, so that's the process that I went through with that job. And then, um, it's funny. I, I, a lot of people, you know, COVID has done sort of totally crazy things in so many people's lives with regard to what they do for work. But I actually think I got the job that I have because COVID taught everybody that you can work from home. Hmm. So I saw uh, the job listing in, I think, February of 2020 for ASA, the American Society of Anesthesiologists. And uh, they were looking for somebody specifically with higher logic experience. They were looking for somebody to build the community from the ground up, which I was super excited about. Um, sent in my resume, cover letter, they get back to me. And uh, they're like, oh, well, when can you come to Chicago? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to Chicago. I've got kids. And it did say Massachusetts on my resume, but you can forgive HR for missing that. And I said, is that going to be a problem? And they said, uh, yeah, we kind of need people to be in the office. Okay, so this is February of 2020. And we all know what's coming next. Yep. Yep. So two I was bummed. But two months later, uh, same HR gal reached out to me and she said, you know, <laughs> are you still interested? And I was like, oh, heck yeah, I would love to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I think once the organization felt more comfortable about me being probably one of their first 100% remote hires, it was it was all like, you know, cake from there. I mean, well, I don't want to say cake. The next three months was busy. I started yeah. in June and our community launched in September. I had three months soup to nuts to, you know, get everybody's name down. <laughs> like, yep. Who does what in the organization? <laughs> I had Without my Gantt chart. Met them in person. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, but I think community managers also, they also know how to leverage Slack and Teams and all of the other ways that you can communicate digitally and yeah. be real and genuine with people and give them a little bit of your personality instead of feeling like you've got to be real bottled up when you have, you know, when you're sending an email to somebody in your organization. Um, and I think that really helped kind of soften things up. And I just really had to dip into so many different departments with, you know, mm -hmm. engineering and marketing and, you know, product development, product management, the whole, all of those people were sort of spokes in my wheel. Yep. Um, and uh, we launched in September of 2020. So we're not even a year old. 
And uh, I'm just super happy with the progress. Um, we've got lots of great discussion going. And uh, I just, I couldn't be happier with how it turned out because um, I know that, you know, a lot of times people don't have the bandwidth to do the planning and the front work and that'll kind of bite you later. And I was really able to do that. And I was given a lot of support from my organization, you know, like working with a bunch of different people who are like, I kind of don't know what this community thing is that we're starting, but I will help you. Um, you know, the, the, the gal who did our CSS was super helpful and she taught me a lot of stuff just so I wouldn't have to keep going back to her. Um, so yeah, it was a learning experience and it went really well. And, and I, I think everybody's pretty happy with the progress. That's amazing. And is was this your members' first introduction to community at ISA? ASA, sorry. Members was, first. Was there a previous community or is this the first time that they've had a I would say so there was a, a bit of a I don't even want to say it was a it was it was a a prototype or it, it sort of sat on personify or AMS. And it mm -hmm. was one of those situations where, uh, you know, a company that does something really well was like, well, why don't we just bust into this like add on and not doing <laughs> it very well. I think that happens yep. a lot with community. Like, Let's just sit this on top of our existing platform. Right. Uh, it, it, it was really clunky to use. Uh, very few people in our membership probably even knew that it existed. Very few people in my organization knew that it existed. So I'm not going to count that. I mean, <laughs> I'm just going to go straight to this as like a virgin project. Um, and uh, yeah, so we had to do a lot of um, messaging with our marketing team to just sort of let people know it was coming down the pike. And I mean, to be quite honest, my member base is a little older, skews a little older. And a lot of them, you know, didn't necessarily know what that meant. Like, what does it mean mm -hmm. that we have a community, an online community? I don't even know what that involves. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was a lot of just sort of, there's only so much advanced work you can do. You can't hit people over the head with here's what's coming when they don't even know the definition of that thing. Right. Um, and it's just going to piss people off. So I really kind of hung my hat on that daily digest. And that's where actually my background in, in content creation and publishing was super helpful. Um, the first thing I do in the morning is send myself a test digest to just see what's going to be in there for the coming day. Ours goes out around noon Eastern. Um, and I just really applied that to, let's just pretend this is a magazine that comes out every day. Um, it's okay if a bunch of people don't know really what's going on yet, as long as there's compelling content in there and activity. And, um, you know, I will arm twist if necessary to make sure <laughs> that what you get in your inbox when you get that daily digest is something potentially interesting. Or even if none of the threads really speak to you that day, you could see that maybe tomorrow might be different. And just mm -hmm. to sort of make sure you're covering the scope of potential topics. And I just was really diligent about that every single day, you know, and, and kind of seed content, throwing in announcements when we have a new podcast coming. Because you know that like the preview when you get your email, it's like one announcement, four new threads, 36 replies. Like I really wanted to make sure that that was, that was um, populated in a compelling way just to get the opens initially. And I think that at a certain point, the proof was in the pudding. So obviously you launched the community in the middle of the pandemic. So you mm -hmm. didn't see like a, a transition um, from yeah. you know, one state to the other. Um, but you know, to that point, you had a contingent of, of your audience that you know, really wasn't familiar with this online community. Um, was there also a contingent that was very happy to have this lifeline? 
to oh to yes juice. okay yeah and i think that and this is probably again this is my first association so i don't really have a, a benchmark for this but you know i think that there are physicians sprinkled all over the country. There are anesthesiologists in New York City, and there are anesthesiologists in Duluth, and you know, all over the place. Some of them are practicing in metropolitan areas, some are in rural areas, and like rural access care is really difficult. Um, those are not the people that are going to be able to necessarily come to your annual meeting. Mm-hmm. They can't get away. It's expensive. You know, they got to just the whole thing is going to kind of conspire to keep them from being able to leave a practice where they might be the only anesthesiologist for, I don't know how many miles. Um, So what ends up happening is you get kind of the same kind of folks that go to your annual meeting year on year. And, you know, you have this membership member leadership structure, which is super helpful. um, But it is kind of the same faces. And I think that um, it, it really went in both directions. I think that those folks who felt maybe that they were, you know, unable to participate to the fullest in the organization because of their location or circumstance and practice had suddenly a way to participate in a way that they didn't before. And on the flip side, the folks who were, you know, the the the, the usual suspects that would typically, typically go to events and, you know, be very active in the leadership suddenly had a listening opportunity to listen to those folks that they didn't get a chance to meet in person. Um, And that's been really helpful. I mean, COVID aside, I think that that's really been a value to the organization and a value to the membership. And then as far as COVID, I mean, I can't think of a better platform for, or I guess platform's not the right word, but um, we have a lot of emerging situations with COVID, you know, the COVID testing before surgical procedures. I mean, that's changing every five minutes, depending on where you live. You know, where are you going to have that conversation other than in real time in a digital space? So, you know, we've definitely had a lot of those kinds of conversations, and I think that has been a lot, a lot of value for the membership. Yeah, that, that makes my heart happy, not the COVID <laughs> um, but, but about the, you know, one of the associations I used to work for was similar. They were kind of, it was one person within a medical practice. It was the, the business person who ran the medical practice. Right. And they used to say that the annual conference was the one time a year that they got to be around people who understood what they did, who did the same right. thing they did. And they, they loved it. Um, but the community became the great equalizer. Like the same exact experience that your members are having. And um, yeah, and that's, that's so exciting to see that happen. And it is transformational to the organization um, when they can, you know, when they can embrace that and, you know, I mean, have there been things that, and you don't have to get into detail about it, but like that have come out of those conversations on the community that your organization has, has has taken um, and changed or incorporated into processes or um, content development, things like that? Or, and do you guys have any kind of uh, a process for, for doing that, for content review, that type of thing? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I'm always thinking of when I, I, I obviously I'm getting all the real-time updates, right? So I see everything that's coming across the desk. And if I see something that I feel would be a good listening opportunity, understanding that our um, you know, internally, our, our staff are busy. Um, they're, they're not necessarily checking the daily digest. Is anything, is this a good listening opportunity? I'll just kick that 
real time out to whoever might, you know, potentially benefit from it. And we've had some interesting conversations. In fact, uh, we had a committee member reach out to community a couple days ago, like, hey, you know, the committee on membership is looking into potential affinity programs, you know, those partnerships where you might get as part of your membership, uh, you know, a discount on like a sports package or Mm -hmm. insurance or, you know, one of those. And he's like, well, you know, there's, there's this subgroup or a working group as part of the committee on membership on membership but we thought we might actually ask the membership (laughs) what (laughs) affinity programs are like you know what kind of discounts they're interested in and uh that's definitely you know an opportunity for the the member leadership to you know cast a really wide net instead of asking each other well here's what our members probably want just going straight to the people who are saying yeah we kind of want like you know discounts on a ppo health coverage program um, and, you know, that's been really interesting to see. So it isn't even like the, 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 the passive listening where I will kick something out to whoever might be interested in hearing it. Um, we are, because it's, you know, member to member, we're seeing a lot of the member leadership see the opportunity in uh, participating, asking questions, asking the membership, well, what do you think about this, you know, work product that we have going on? Or like, what do you think we should be focusing on in terms of engaging with retired membership? Um, so they're also kind of leveraging the community for that sort of active social listening. That's awesome. It's great when you, as a community manager, can see like everyone starting to connect all the dots too of like the benefits of, you know, mm-hmm. the association reaching out, the member member to member connection, of course, and just all the things you can learn about each other. Yeah. <laughs> I think the penny's starting to drop <laughs> like <laughs> 10 months, 11 months in, so... Yeah. So what's next for, you know, year two in your community? Any big plans? How are you um, keeping the momentum going from the the launch of the first year? Well, the first stop is going to be a survey. Um, You know, one year in, we're going to be sort of asking that same type of question, like, what are you feeling are the holes? Um, One of the big priorities that we have is kind of getting our resident members over the hump into first year active membership. So uh, typically a resident will be a member of ASA because their program is paying for it. And then when they graduate into fellowship and beyond, suddenly it's on them to pay a membership fee. And, you know, a lot of times with student debt and whatever, um, they just don't see the value right away. Mm -hmm. Uh, So one thing that we're looking at is, you know, it might not be a new program, but how do we get the messaging out that, um, you know, you've learned so much as a medical student, as a resident related to the clinical practice of medicine. But suddenly as an attending, you've got interpersonal relationships to deal with. You're, you might be supervising, you know, a, a care team. Um, and these are the soft skills that often get a little bit overlooked in like the intensity of medical training. So mm-hmm. one of the things that we're looking at is the potential for leveraging open forum for these residents to ask the folks in, you know, the, the wider membership, um, many of whom have been in practice for like 30 years. How do you handle this thorny situation and those soft skills and communication strategies? because they have so much organizational, like institutional knowledge to share um, that it might be a really neat way to bring the res- the former residents, like the new attending first year actives into contact with the folks who are nearing the end of their, uh, their mm-hmm. journey. And they have more time on their hands. They're looking for mentorship opportunities, but it doesn't have to be a structured mentorship program, which may or may not be what our members want. We'll find out after the survey. Yeah. Yeah. 
So a lot of it is sort of a messaging thing, like how can we pivot to get that message out as opposed to launching new programs? Yeah. Yeah, I like, and you know, sometimes you know, things can start casual like that. And if they really take off, then you can decide if you want to wrap them in more formality or, exactly. you know, if, or if part of its success is you know, keeping them, keeping them casual and informal like that. Yeah. I'm all about incremental change. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yes. You know, sometimes throwing a huge formal program at people, it's a lot of work for staff mm-hmm. to get it off the ground and it can be a little overwhelming for uh, yeah, for your members to take on. Yeah. Uh, so Emily, you are obviously very passionate about community management, which is wonderful to see. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and like most of us, you know, you transitioned into this, you know, from you know from another career. Um, so if someone was looking to get into community management, what what advice would you give them? This is kind of a two-part question, um, okay. but related. What advice would you give them and kind of what's your favorite thing about being a community manager? Sure. I think that, you know, as with anything, the best way to sort of figure out what a community manager does is to be a member in a different, a, a lot of different contexts. Like, go ahead and join the Velveeta Cheese community. <laughs> <laughs> per Shannon Emery, there actually is one and she is actually a member. Um, you know, <laughs> And, 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 and kind of, it's not just seeing what they do right, but also what they do wrong. Um, I always sort of like, it's like the Velveeta cheese test with my messaging, you know, you can't assume that people are as invested in your community as you are, right? Like you, you're, you're basically one more email that's going to land in the trash after a cursory glance. I'm just always assuming that that is the case. So I try to be really intentional with what I'm sending and when and pegging that to a demonstrated behavior or appealing to, you know, a previously active member's um, expertise, knowing that they have participated in the past and asking for help. Everybody loves it when you ask for help. Um, so, I guess like that's the test that I'm using. Like if I were the member and not a, not a member of my community, but of a, a member of a community, a community I don't necessarily feel all that invested in, how would I feel about receiving this messaging? So there's a lot of learning opportunities that you can do before you become a community manager, just by being a member and receiving that messaging and clocking what your out of the box re- reaction to that messaging is, because it's going to save you a lot of needless junk. I love that. So, so intentional, so strategic. That's a great, great way to look at it. And it's, and it's, it's a low barrier to participation. I, I hear the Velveeta cheese community is looking for folks. I can't, I cannot <laughs> believe that's a real thing, but I, I mean, I guess there's, there's a group out there for everything. So. Yeah, exactly. There is. So there's yeah. a lot of opportunity to compare notes. For sure. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm texting Shannon as soon as we're done with this <laughs> And I guess like my favorite, I mean, I have a couple favorites, um, you know, back to the sort of COVID pivoting, you know, at bottom medical associations are really about improving patient outcomes. I mean, that's what they're there for. Uh, and uh, ASA is no different. Um, And I love it when somebody posts about, you know, an emerging case and there's, you know, this and that going on. What do you think? And people get back to them. They get a a valuable, you know, a few different responses. And then they come back into community with an update and say, like, here's what happened. I mean, as a community manager and, you know, like, like 
is does that get any better like you just created a place (laughs) where you helped like by you know by proxy but you created a space that made the that conversation possible mm-hmm. that had a direct impact on someone and their family. And I mean, you know, it, it, online communities can feel a little, you know, disengaged from, you know, IRL. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not. Yeah. I mean, this is where we talk about things, but we also talk about things with people over coffee and that has an impact on how you live your life. So um, it's neat to see that, that the, the connection between the conversations that happen in a digital environment spill over into real clinical situations. I mean, that's what, I mean, beyond, that's what we do, right? Like that's kind of the whole point is to make people's lives better. And I don't know, maybe that sounds a little self-aggrandizing, but that's really how I look at it. It gave me goosebumps, Uh, Emily. That was a great, great response. (laughs) And yeah, it's so cool when you're like, it's working. Like we did Mm -hmm. this, like we made this conversation happen or we provided a place for that Mm -hmm. conversation to happen. It's really cool. And my yeah. second favorite thing is when members throw flags that are like, hey, we don't talk to each other like that around here. That's my <laughs> second favorite thing of all time. Because the fact that you've like th- that you've created and that this is the branding part of it too. Yep. If people feel invested in keep, keeping things clean around here, that means you did your job right. And that always makes me proud. Thank you for saying that. People don't believe me sometimes. I'm like, no, the members will self-police. Oh, totally. They totally will, but only if they feel like it's worth protecting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's like, as the community manager, like you're you're allowed to take that as a compliment, I think. Yeah. 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 It's a great point. Yeah. They hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I have to ask you, we'll, we'll end this, this conversation on our go-to question for all, all of our guests on this show. What is your favorite engagement tactic? Ooh. Well, we kind of covered the, the, which is more of a strategy of creating a place that people want to hang out in because Mm -hmm. no, well, very few communities, let's put it this way. Very few communities can survive on post and ghost. Like the bottom line is that you have to create a space that people want to come back to over and over again, or your engagement is going to die quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the sort of strategic piece of it. And then I guess like my favorite tactic, and I touched on this before, is um, asking members for help based on what their experience of the community is. So, and I can't take credit for this at all. I'm going to tell you right now, this is right out of Rich Millington's blog. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the out of the box, like we miss you message has always bothered me because it's just reminding people that they just didn't care enough to check in recently. <laughs> just like, don't amplify the like fact that they haven't been around. Um, so this was a pretty recent blog piece um, in Fever B. And the suggestion was, well, why not try changing that message to, you know, hey, you're, you've been really active in this community and, you know, you're kind of an expert. Is there anything that we're not covering in terms of content that we could be or things that we could be doing differently? And there's not really conversion rule for this email, but I can tell you that this one message has netted more responses from members than any other message that I have going out. And sometimes I get great feedback. Some people like, sorry, COVID's crazy. And some people are like, hey, you know, I'd like to see more of this. And that leads to a conversation that's like, well, would you like to craft a post around that? 
And not only is it telling me, like, here are some of the kinds of conversations that I wish there were more of. So, for example, I hear a lot, I wish there were more kinds of conversations for young physicians who are going through this whole transition to attending, buying their first house, managing their new doctor salary. And I'm like, yeah. And one way to do that would be to generate some of that content <laughs> as a young physician. So... It leads to a conversation. It's like, would you feel comfortable, like, you know, crafting something around that to maybe ask that question and get some answers? Because I'm sure that lots of people are asking the exact same question. Mm. And not only has that been a useful piece of feedback that has sort of informed this new sort of year two strategy about encouraging new attendings to leverage open forum for some of these communication strategies and personal finance and other things like that. But it's also been a a great source of new content because a lot of times you can convert that into a new post. So that's been a really useful tactic for me, and I did not invent it by at all. <laughs> but it's worked. So but hey. it has worked. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Rich. It's, it's worked. <laughs> Everybody should try that. Yeah, I know on one of our, uh, one of the last projects I did at Higher Logic was looking at all of the automation rules and conversions. And one of the highest conversion rates we saw was, uh, was one of the rules asking for people's help in answering unanswered posts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it was that explicit, yeah, ask, asking for help, um, asking for people's expertise. So, yep, it's kind of uh, along the same lines. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yep. flatters people, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. gets them to come back. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much, Emily. I love your passion for community management. It has shown through with every question that you've answered. So we really appreciate you joining us here on the show. Uh, Where can folks find you or connect with you if they're interested in learning more about some of the stuff you're doing or or connecting about other community management ideas? You bet. Well, you know, anybody who's on the hug can find me on the hug. And, uh, you know, LinkedIn also works. Mm-hmm. Um, I love for folks to reach out and I'm always game to meet other community managers and talk shop, as you can imagine. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Emily. This was truly a pleasure and I'm sure uh, community managers and community manager, future community managers uh, benefited greatly from, uh, from this conversation. Thanks. Yeah. This was a ton of fun. Yeah. That's going to do it for another episode of the Member Engagement Show, and we'll see you next week. Bye.